Our reading this morning is on page 292 of the Church Bibles. It's 1 Samuel, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Page 292, 1 Samuel, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. David and Jonathan. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favour in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives... And as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favourably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon feast. You will be missed, because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait by the stone Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go, find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away, and about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, And when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall, opposite Jonathan and Abner. And Abner sat next to Saul. 
but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favour in your eyes, let me go to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the feast he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. We're pleased to uh, keep your Bibles open as we uh, begin together. Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer. Let's close our eyes and bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your holy word. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up the truths that you want us to see this morning. And we ask all of this for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And this his name we pray. Amen. I want to start with a question before we get into the passage this morning. Uh, What makes you feel secure? What makes you feel secure? I want you to imagine that that one thing in your life, that one thing that if you lost it, you just wouldn't know how you would cope. It might be a relationship. It might be family. It might be friends or health or sex, or work, or money, good looks? What is that one thing that makes you feel secure? You see, all those things that I listed are good. They're all good things given to us by a good God. But if it's in those things that you are looking for 
security in, if it's in those things that you're looking for security in, how will you cope when you lose them? You see, any one of those things can be taken away seemingly in an instant. That's why a lot of people get anxious and fear about losing them. One way of of telling how dependent someone is on, on money or on health or status is by seeing what happens when you take that thing away. And that's what we saw firsthand uh, in the recession uh, or the credit crunch in 2008. As people started losing money, they despaired. Depression went up. The number of, uh, tragically, the number of suicides went up as people lost businesses and homes and money. Surely we all want a better, a truer security than that. Something that could be snatched away in a moment. You see, these good things like money or health and family were never meant to be where we find our security. They were never meant to be where we find our security. Instead, they're actually pointers to the one who gives us True security, the security that we all need. The Bible tells us that there's something better than money, there's something better than health or status that we can turn to for security. The Bible tells us about covenant, about covenant relationships. Well, it's worthwhile asking what is a covenant? A covenant is an oath, an oath made between two sides. It's kind of more than a contract. It's kind of like a contract, but it's more than a contract. You see, if someone breaks their their part of the bargain in a contract, well, then the contract can be dissolved. But it's not like that with a covenant. A covenant is greater. A covenant is saying, I will be who I should be, even if you are not. A covenant's greater than a contract. And as as we look down in verse 8, we see that a covenant is more serious as well because it's made in the witness of a holy God. This isn't made just before for a judge or a lawyer or in front of witnesses. This is made in front of God. God wants us to know that a covenant means true security. This is where we're going to find it. And our passage this, this morning shows us what a covenant is, and it shows us what a covenant is like. It shows us what it means to be in a covenant relationship. And it shows itself in how it works out in action. Well, firstly then, what a covenant means. Firstly, a covenant means loving kindness. This word, uh, it, it crops up a few times in these first in the, uh, the first part of the chapter. But it's more than just kindness. It's more than just being nice to people. Now, th- this word means something greater. It means uh, faithfulness. It means loyalty. It means resolve. It means action and commitment. This is what being in a covenant means. And the first thing that this passage says about this, this special, this covenant loving kindness is that it's a covenant that's available to us in any situation. 
A kindness that is available to us in any situation. Look down in your Bibles at the end of verse 3. It says, yet as surely as the Lord lives, this is David saying this, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. David's in this rather terrifying uh, circumstance of feeling like he's, he's on a tightrope. He knows that King Saul is, is hunting for him. He wants him dead. David has been anointed as the, as the new king once Saul dies. And he knows that to Saul this is a threat He feels like he's walking precariously along this tightrope. So what does he do? What does this this man do who, who feels that there's only a step between him and death? Well, he goes to his friend. David knows that despite this being a life and death situation, he can find safety with his friend. Now, this isn't just any friendship. But this is one secured in the oath of a covenant. In the oath of a covenant. Which is all the more surprising when we think about who Jonathan is. Jonathan is King Saul's son. He is the son of the man who wants David dead. On paper, one would say that this is an incredibly dangerous thing for David to do, to go into the the stronghold of the enemy, as it were. He is going to the son of the man who wants him dead and he is pleading with him as one pleads with a close friend. And the security that David has that this situation won't get worse by him going to King Saul's son is because David is trusting in the oaths that they have made In this covenant, this covenant of loving kindness and faithfulness, this friendship that they have sworn to one another. You see, a relationship built on covenant can face any situation, even a situation of life and death. It guarantees companionship and this true security, this true security that we're looking for. Your friends are there for you, and you are safe. So this loving kindness of a covenant is there for us, whatever situation. Look with me now at how this kindness is shown. Look down in the Bibles at verse 8. This is David saying this again. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? David is protesting to his friend that that actually he's done nothing wrong, certainly nothing to deserve death. So he makes this this plea with, with Jonathan that he would show him this kindness. Again, that word that means loyalty and commitment. And it's absolutely right that David should expect it. This is the right response of two parties in a covenant relationship. A relationship not built on what I can get, but what I can give. What I can give. And this flies in the face of our culture that is all about relationships, really, that I can can get stuff out of. What is in it for me if I I agree to, to be kind to you? What is in it for me? 
You see, the basic expectation of a covenant relationship, of a covenant relationship, is for the other person to show you rich sacrificial kindness and to be expecting to give it as well. If you are searching for true security, you can know that there is something that can promise you this loving kindness. Something like nothing else in the world. It's not bent in on itself, but it's looking at how it can bless the other person. This is how amazing a covenant relationship is. This loving kindness of a covenant should be available in any situation And you should be able to expect it to be shown. And thirdly, we see that this covenant kindness is remembered. Look down at verse 14. And this is Jonathan speaking now. He says to David, But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the faith of the earth. Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness. You see, Jonathan agrees to help David out. Even though on paper, Jonathan, he should have the upper hand, shouldn't he? But he doesn't boast. He expects David's kindness, that sacrificial covenant kindness in return. Not just now, but also into the future as well. Now the normal normal practice with with kings and and tribal leaders at this time, if you came into power and there were were there any leftovers or remnants from, from the previous royal family, well then you would get away with them. You would, you would kill them. You would make sure that there was no rival claim to the throne. But because of this covenant between David and Jonathan, this won't be so. Jonathan can expect this kindness to be shown not just now, but in the years to come, even after he dies. And we know that actually David does do that. He does show that kindness to Jonathan's ancestors. Because of the covenant. But I want you to notice what Jonathan says about covenants. He says about this kindness, like the Lord's kindness. Like the Lord's kindness. This is not a man-made idea. This is not some uh, philosophy or some ideal that wouldn't it be great if something like this existed. No, this does exist. And it comes from the Lord. This is the Lord's kindness. And the Bible bears testimony to that. Throughout the Bible, we see God time and time again entering into covenant with his people. Going into covenant with his people. And it builds up and up and up until we see God's covenant love so great. So great that he sent his own son to secure that relationship. To secure that covenant with us. That's the kind of covenant, kindness, we're talking about. It's not fairy tale. It exists. It is the Lord's kindness. It is lovingly sacrificial. Jesus says in John chapter 15, 
Greater love, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is, this is covenant love so great, so great that he was even willing to die in our place, to die to secure that relationship. Think about it. Think about it. True security, true security available to you, bought by Jesus' own blood. Not something that can be taken away if we fail to live up to it. Not something that can be taken away because of circumstance, but bought by Jesus' blood. I encourage you, show me somewhere else in the world or something else in the world that can offer you that security. Something that cannot be taken away from you. Something that will show you that kindness. If you can think of something, please come and tell me. I don't think it exists. This loving kindness bought by Jesus. You see, this is what a covenant is. And we see in the rest of the chapter, it's the acting out of that covenant relationship. We've seen what it looks like. Let's see what it looks like when it's taken seriously in people's lives. And look down at how how Jonathan then acts from verse 18 onwards. This is a man taking covenant responsibility seriously. He and David have both hatched a plan to to see if, if Saul is trying to kill David. Saul kind of uh, excuses it on the first day. He thinks that David must be ceremonially unclean. That's why he isn't at this feast. But on the second day, he gets really suspicious. And he asks Jonathan why David hasn't turned up. And then all of a sudden, it clicks for Saul. He sees that there is this covenant relationship between Saul and David. And now Jonathan knows that David was speaking the truth, that his father does want to kill him. The covenant that that Jonathan and David share in, which is the same for any covenant, means that they share in a new kingdom loyalty. A new kingdom loyalty. And we know that from the passage. We know that that is true because of what he is willing to face and because of what he is willing to surrender. Look at first at what he is willing to face Well, he's willing to face shame, actually. Shame for this loyalty. Look at verse 30. This is right in the the heat of the action. Saul, well, let's, let's read it, sorry. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? Can't even bring to, to call him by his name. Sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame? And to the shame of the mother who bore you. Jonathan is willing to face humiliation. Humiliation. Because of his covenant friendship with David. And because of that he has been brutally and shamefully rejected. In public. By his father. He has been described as disloyal as disrespectful, as downright stupid for what he has done. The truth is that 
while it is true that a covenant relationship provides an, an unmatched level of security, this true security that we want, at the same time, it means that Jonathan is committed to take the good with the bad. The good with the bad. This means shame for him. This means disrespect. Now if we think about what that might mean, if we bring that into the 21st century, and we think about what that might particularly mean for followers of Jesus Christ, well, you too are in a covenant relationship with God. This is where we get our true security from. And even though that means eternally we've got true security, it also means that the world will almost certainly, from time to time, come up against you. It may be subtle, it may be obvious, but it almost certainly will happen. Just like Saul is doing in this passage against his own son. This may be people talking behind you at work, or it might be people saying something to your face. It might be friends distancing themselves from you at school or at college or at university. It may mean friends and family that no longer speak to you. Well, for hundreds and thousands of people around the world, actually, there's an even greater risk. And that is the risk of death and persecution. According to one Christian charity, each year on average... 3,864 Christians are killed because they won't give up that relationship. That's, that's not uh, in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. That's in 2016. Nearly 4,000 people killed. And that doesn't include the number of churches burnt down. That doesn't include the number of Christians abducted or beaten or raped. But even despite that horrific figure, those Christians who are persecuted have something greater, something greater than the world can give. Each one of those who have died and would not give up on Jesus and on that relationship that he has given them have true security. They have true security. Each person attending church this morning whether in Africa or Asia or wherever around the world, who fear for their lives, they have that true security. It's something God has given them forever. And no persecution, no threats, or even death can take it from them. That is the truth. You see, that ability to face shame or even death comes from being in covenant with God. And the reason why we see Jonathan experiencing that shame here is because he has loyalty to a different kingdom. Loyalty to a different kingdom. Look at verse 31. This is, this is uh, Saul speaking to Jonathan. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Both Saul and Jonathan know the truth. They know that while David is alive, Jonathan cannot 
be king. While David is alive, Jonathan cannot be king. And in Saul's eyes, Jonathan, well, it's, it's madness. He's sided with the enemy. Jonathan has made this decision, and because of his covenant oaths, it means he will stick with it. It comes down to which kingdom are you going to choose? Which kingdom? Is it going to be Saul's? Saul's where Jonathan would reign, where David, well, if it wasn't for the covenant, would be killed. That problem dealt away with, and Jonathan, the rightful king, could rule over Israel. It would be so easy. For Jonathan to just tell Saul where David is, and then Jonathan could be king instead. The glory could go to him, and the power go to him. Where voices like Saul's tell us that that makes sense. We could be king. We could get the glory. But Jonathan, because of the covenant kindness, won't be swayed. He knows the right choice. The right choice is loyalty to God's chosen king. Loyalty to David. Now that we also have that choice to make as well. For us there is a far greater king. For us there is a far greater kingdom. But the same choice. As it was for Jonathan, also for us and for everyone who follows the Lord Jesus... It is a costly call to follow that kingdom and that king. And I think Jonathan would well have understood Jesus' words in Luke 14, where he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Such a person cannot be my disciple. See, the covenant relationship God offers us means that we move from from running our own lives, from trying to set ourselves up as king, to living lives with Jesus as king, with his kingdom, with our loyalty. The famous uh, hymn writer Charles Wesley uh, got this um, in the, this is the the line in in, uh, one of his famous hymns. It says, Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. Here's the point where he gets it. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. So it is with this covenant loyalty that as Jonathan leaves Saul's presence and goes to confirm the bad news to David. This is what he is doing. He is proclaiming loyalty to a new kingdom. He is casting his crown before the rightful king, before God's king. And he was able to do this because of this covenant. Because of this covenant of loving kindness, of this new kingdom, and this covenant that is stronger and blood. Look at verse 41. This is after Jonathan has gone and, and, and made this secret sign to David to let him know about the bad news. This is what he says. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground 
Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. This chapter finishes with this, with this, good, this goodbye of these two friends. Jonathan, having just forfeited and turned away from his rightful claim to the king and the kingdom, so that he might do right by his covenant friend. And David, in response, is moved. He is weeping because of the cost of this sacrifice and how much this is hurting. But this also goes to show us that being part of God's covenant people isn't just about our, our individual relationship with God. We live in a, in a culture that is, that is heavily individualistic. It's about what is, what is my faith, my relationship. It's actually about our relationship with God. Our faith together as a church, as believers, as brothers and sisters, not just here in Hove, but around the world. Our relationship with one another as we relate to God. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says this. He, he commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Is that something that marks out our behavior? How we treat one another in this, this covenant family, in this church, on our row of seats, Is that something that marks us out? And I'm not just talking about our friends in church or our family, the people we find it easy to get on with, but actually the people that we find it hard to get on with, the people who are from a a different background or the people who are maybe 50 years different in age from us. Are we showing that, that covenant love and loyalty to one another? For those who follow Jesus, we are members of a new covenant family and it is stronger than blood. We belong to one another. We need one another. We weep together and we rejoice together. Remember I asked you at the beginning that that one thing in your life that you look to to give you security, that one thing that you would feel everything just crashed down if you lost it. Well, how does it stack up with what we've seen in this chapter of God's covenant? How does it stack up? His loving kindness available to you whenever and forever. The power to stay loyal to him and his kingdom, even in the worst circumstances. And a new new community where it is part of who we are to show that covenant loyalty and kindness to one another in a minute we will be celebrating how Jesus brought us in to this covenant by dying for us on the cross communion is about giving thanks for that true security that we have in Christ and remembering what it cost him Straightforward question then to finish with. Do you know this true security that comes from being in a covenant with God, purchased by his own blood? Do you realise God is that committed to you this morning? It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. 
What's stopping you from turning to that one person who can give you that true security? That deep, deep down, you know you need. Why not turn to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of covenant. There's so much more than just a contract. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant that your son brought to us. Thank you that we will be remembering that as we break the bread and share the wine together. That we are people of this new covenant bought by the precious body and blood of Jesus. Help us to build our lives on that true security, not on anything else. Thank you, God, for for those good things that you give us, but help us not to build our lives on them. Help us to build our lives on you, on your covenant, on that true security. And help us to show that covenant love to one another, particularly those we find it hard to show it to. And we ask all this for the glory of King Jesus. Amen.